good to be with you all this morning. And as Steve said, my name's Hugh, uh, and I'm the Gospel Church equivalent to a feeding trough. Um, yeah, as Steve said, uh, Shem and Tyler, they're both away. I wouldn't normally be preaching, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm here. So um, <laughs> how about I, I read our passage for us, and then I pray that God will help us. Uh, I'm going to start at the start of cha- uh, chapter 9, verse 1. I don't know if we have that on the screen or not, but um, I think it's important to read it in its full context. Isaiah 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as joy with the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And then our passage for today, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for Christmas time. Lord, we thank you that you sent Christ. Uh, we thank you that he is the king of all. Uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, his government will know no end uh, and that his rule and reign uh, is forevermore. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your zeal. Uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, you love your own glory. Uh, and Father, we pray this morning that uh, you would be with me uh, as I speak, uh, that you would be with uh, this church body as they listen, Uh, but Lord, most importantly, uh, we pray that your word would go forth and you'd be given all the glory. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At Gospel Church, uh, we are very diligent when choosing the songs that we sing together. Uh, We want to ensure that they are theologically accurate uh, and that we actually believe what it is that we're singing. At this time of year, we walk through shopping centres, we hear songs playing over the loudspeaker, Uh, songs about Jesus, songs that everybody knows and some of which we just sung, songs like O Holy Night, Away in a Manger, Hark the Herald, The Angels Sing. Uh, We go to community carols uh, and everybody sings along, but not everybody believes what they're singing. They sing O Holy Night, they sing Fall on Your Knees, Jesus is Lord, but Jesus is not their Lord. When we sing, do we ponder the words that we are singing? Do we ask ourselves, do I really believe this? Let me read you this verse from Joy to the World, and we can ponder the words together. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. 
He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. We know that sin plagues the whole world. Uh, There isn't a single place on earth that hasn't been corrupted by sin. Uh, But do we believe that the blessing of salvation in Jesus will go as far as the curse is found? And if we do, what does that mean for the future of the church? Can we sing along, joy to the world, the Lord has come, with hope and optimism for the future? Now, let's look at the other side of the coin, the alternative. Uh, Earlier this year, John MacArthur expressed his view for the future of the church. Uh, John MacArthur, he's a great man. Uh, He has done more for the church than any of us probably ever will, uh, and he deserves much honour. But in this area, I think he's wrong. This is what he said. He said, we don't win down here. We lose. Are you ready for that? Oh, you're a post-millennialist. You thought we were just going to go waltzing into the kingdom because you took over the world. We lose here. Get it? They killed Jesus. They killed all the apostles. We're all going to be persecuted. We lose. And the question I want to ask today is this. Can we hold the view that we inevitably lose down here in light of passages like Isaiah 9? Is it consistent with the picture we are given of Jesus and his reign? So keep that question in the back of your mind as we continue. Uh, I've got three headings for us this morning. I know we love headings here at Gospel Church. Uh, The promised king, the king's reign, and the king's rule. The promised king. Uh, As we heard last week uh, from Shem, Israel had 19 kings after David, and none of them did what was right in the sight of God. In Judah, there were 21 kings after David, and most of them were described in the same way. Uh, And Isaiah was active for the reign of four of them, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Uh, Isaiah delivered chapter 9 during the reign of King Ahaz, uh, and King Ahaz was a bad king. Uh, He led Israel, or led Judah rather, into rebellion and idol worship. Two kings even tells us that he burnt one of his own sons as an offering to idols. And God reveals to Isaiah that because of Israel's rebellion, God is going to raise up the king of Assyria to invade Judah. The Assyrians have already captured most of Israel, which is the northern kingdom, and now they're working their way down and they're they're threatening Judah and Jerusalem in the southern kingdom where Ahaz was king. Uh, To try and appease the Assyrian king, Ahaz strips all of the silver and gold from the house of the Lord and gives it to the Assyrian king as a present, as a gift. Ahaz was not a courageous and mighty king like David before him. He was a cowardly king and he left Judah in moral turmoil and under threat of invasion. Of course, God kept a remnant for himself in this time. Uh, This was made up of a small number of people, including Isaiah and his family, uh, who were faithful. If we were to put ourselves in their shoes, it would probably feel like we're losing. Like darkness, sin and depravity are winning the battle. Sometimes we look at our world today, uh, the world around us, and we probably feel like that too. But that is why we have passages like Isaiah 9. They remind us who we should hope in and what we should hope for. Verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God promises his people the king is coming. 
and he describes what his king will be like and what he will do. He also says that this king will come as a child, and even as a child, he will have power and authority. Uh, notice that Jesus, uh, sorry, notice that this passage never says, "For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and he will grow up and do these things." There is an important emphasis that even as an infant, Christ was fully God and he was fully the rightful king of all things. Uh, We see in in Matthew's account of Jesus' birth that King Herod hears from the wise men uh, that the king of the Jews has born and that they want to find him and worship him. When Herod hears this, he's filled with fear. He is afraid that his rule will be overthrown and he proceeds to have all the male children under the age of two killed in Bethlehem. Of course, in God's sovereignty, an angel appears to Joseph and directs them to flee to Egypt. Why was Herod so petrified of a baby? Because Herod was the king of Judea. This was a a Jewish area. He was king ruling over the Jews. So Herod would have heard the prophecies of the coming Messiah the promised king. He would have heard prophecies like Isaiah 9. Isaiah continues, And the government shall be upon his shoulder. The promised king, our king Jesus, is not just the rightful king of the Jews, but he is the king of all things, of all nations. Romans 13.1 Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. If Christ does not uphold the government, the government will not stand. If Christ wanted to overthrow the Australian government, it would crumble in an instant. Because he is Lord. Psalm 2, 10 to 12, says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Wicked rulers will only last so long. And one day they will stand before the king of kings, whose wrath is quickly kindled. This was true for King Ahaz and for King Herod, uh, and is true for the rulers of our time. So now we know that our king will reign, but how will he reign? The king's reign. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These titles given to Jesus describe his character and describe the ways that he will be different to the kings before him. Christ is a wonderful counselor. He gives understanding to the foolish and ignorant and he opens the eyes of the spiritual blind, spiritually blind, rather. Christ is the mighty God, the same God that flooded the earth, that established Israel as a nation, freed them from slavery, and brought them into the promised land. Christ is the everlasting Father that adopts us all as sons. Hey, Austin. He cares for the orphan and the outcast. Uh, and Christ is the Prince of Peace. In him we find reconciliation to one another and to God. One day we will dwell with him and be his people. There will be no more death, mourning, crying or pain. These titles are given to Christ. um, Sorry, these titles for Christ are given to us as a picture of what the kingdom will be like, how he will rule. 
and we get a taste of it in the church because the church is the means by which Christ grows his kingdom. And these aspects of Christ and out of his rule should be evident in our local church as we grow and as we become more like Christ and in the way that we relate to one another. We should be counselling one another, pointing to the wisdom found in God's revealed word, like Christ uh, as a wonderful counsellor. We should apply God's word to every aspect of our life because he is almighty. He is the mighty God. He is the Lord of all things uh, and he is the Lord of all aspects of our life. We should love the outcast and the orphan as Christ does, showing no partiality as we share the gospel. And we should be quick to confess our sins to one another and to be reconciled because he is the Prince of Peace. As we do these things, we get a taste of the kingdom to come. And not only that, by doing these things, the church will thrive and subsequently the gospel will go forth and the kingdom will grow. The king's rule. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Uh, The kingdom of Judah was not thriving in Isaiah's time, but God promised that a better king would come and that a better kingdom would be established. We know that this king is Jesus and we know what he would have us do. We're given the creation mandate in Genesis to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. We're given the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. This is what we have been commanded to do and God promises us that it will be successful. Why would an almighty God that upholds the government, sways the hearts of kings and opens the eyes of the blind give us a mission that can never be accomplished? The answer is that he doesn't. From this time forth to forevermore, Jesus will rule and his government will know no end. No end, forevermore. If this kingdom has no end, has it already begun? That's that's the question that we're left with. Uh, And as we heard last week, Jesus began his earthly ministry in Galilee and he proclaimed, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is later asked by the Pharisees in Luke 17.20 when the kingdom of God would come. He answered, The kingdom of God is not coming in the ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Our king has come, and we shouldn't be surprised that his kingdom came with him. The fundamental task of the church is to bear witness to the kingdom of God. Our king reigns now, so for us to be, uh, sorry, for us to put the kingdom of God entirely in the future is to miss one of the most significant points of the New Testament. Jesus' rule has begun and it knows no end. Jesus said to Matthew, sorry, Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Many people in the church have their interpretation of this verse backwards. Uh, like I did. We throw it, around, throw it around a lot, and so we should, because it's a great promise to hold on to, that Christ will build his church and that the gate of hell will not prevail against it. 
For many of us, we picture a fortified castle with great walls, strong gates, and an army of hell led by Satan is laying siege on the church. But we should rest assured because Christ promised, um, because Christ promised that, we will not, that they will not succeed. We can sit in our castle and we can wait for Christ to return with confidence that he will. But that's backwards. And if that's what comes to mind, we need to flip it on its head. Because Christ says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Gates are defensive. They're not offensive. The reality is, is that the church is the army laying siege on the gates of hell. And Christ promises that no matter how hard they try to stop the church advancing, we will succeed. Do we believe that? After King Ahaz died, his son Hezekiah took his place as king. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He was was a different kind of king. He was a better king. The Assyrians captured the remainder of Israel and threatened to invade Judah and its capital, Jerusalem. The Assyrian king came to the border of Jerusalem and the king mocked Hezekiah. He said this. He said this to the people of of Judah, the Israelites. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to, to all the lands, devoting them to destruction. And you shall be delivered. The Assyrians camped outside the walls of Jerusalem. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And they fled the next morning. How can we read a story like this and think that we're on the losing side? The same God that defended Jerusalem is building his church and he promised that it will succeed. So as we sing triumphant Christmas carols and we celebrate the coming of Christ at Christmas, do we think the church here on earth is destined to lose? Or do we believe that the child born in the manger is the king of this world, that he rules and reigns now, and that the blessing of salvation he brings will go as far as the curse is found? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, uh, Lord, that you are sovereign over all things. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you sent Christ uh, to die for our sins and to give us new life, uh, that you, you sent him to establish a kingdom here on earth, uh, a kingdom that uh, will not be overthrown uh, and a kingdom that uh, will grow like a mustard seed. Uh, Father, we pray that uh, we, would, we would trust and we would believe that uh, Jesus is king, that he does rule, Uh, and that uh, he will continue to do so. Uh, Father, we ask that um, you'll be with us all at Christmas time as we spend time with with family that may not know you. Um, We ask, Lord, that we would boldly proclaim uh, who our king is. Uh, He is not a a baby in a manger alone, but he is the king of this world. Uh, Father, we thank you, um, Lord, for Christmas, for a time to to celebrate that, and we just pray that uh, you would incline our hearts to worship you rightly. Uh, Father, we just pray that you would be glorified and that you would keep us all safe at Christmas. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.